Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. I'm so glad to be here with all of us. And um, last week, last week, we had a, a sermon that broke my brain. I don't know if you heard the sermon last week. We spoke, it was the Doxadeo Family Vision Sunday. And we spoke about in the, the whole world, all the Doxadeo churches across the world, we spoke about the calling that God has got on the institution that is Doxadeo, the people within Doxadeo. And that calling comes from Habakkuk 2.14 that talks about carrying as a church and carrying as individuals the glory of God into our worlds as the water covers the ocean floor. And that's a big statement. And how do we do that? We, we carry faith, hope, and love into the work and the places that we live, work, and play. So that's the, that's the, the way that we engage in this world. But it broke my brain. Because as Blaine and I drove home, at the back of my mind, I heard this refrain Carrying faith, hope, and love into South Africa in 2021. Carrying faith, hope, and love into South Africa 2021. Like South Africa 2021. And I thought, how on earth do we do that? And I started thinking about, okay, so what does South Africa look like in, in 2021? But I think we need to start off just for each and every one of us to consider for a moment. If somebody were to ask you, please describe to me South Africa in 2021, how would you describe it? So say, for example, there's, a, there's an alien that flies in and lands here on the strip. And please don't mail Joe and says this preacher is talking about aliens. Okay, so I don't believe in aliens. I love sci-fi movies. I've watched Star Wars, prequels, sequels, equals, everything. So my kids, my family, everybody is supposed to watch it with me. I love it. But let's just assume for the moment, for us to just get out of our own minds and those things that we actually don't want to think about, the things that are too difficult to think about, the questions that are too difficult to answer, we put on the back burner. Those shoes that you don't want to buy that's right at the bottom of the, of the shelf, we put it there. And thinking about how you would describe to somebody else like an alien... What South Africa in 2021 is, it's just a way to, to be able to articulate things that we don't want to really talk about. We say the nice things, but the things that frustrate us and the things that scare us, we don't talk about. So this is just a way to verbalize it, to be able to articulate it, because if you can articulate it, you can put it in front of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you can do something with it. Okay, so alien comes... Chewbacca stands right in front of you. If you don't know who he is, I'm so sorry for you, okay? He's standing right in front of you. What are you saying? Aish. No, you go, How, what? is that the sound? That was bad, hey? Apologies. Okay, so what I would say is I would say, Chewie, the way that I would describe it, I need to take you back a few years ago during our December holiday, as a family. Now, the, pre, the four years preceding that December holiday, it felt like, there goes my paper again, it felt like we were on, uh, I was on pain medication, like literally for four years. 
It's not because I have an issue, it's because I had pain. Okay, before you again mail Joe. Don't mail Joe. <laughs> I was in pain for four years. So where it started was I, at a ripe young age, I had two cataracts removed and lens implants. I was sitting there at Pretoria East or Pretoria Eye Hospital with like 80-year-olds. They were talking about their grandchildren. I was talking about my children, but I, you know, cataract removals. And after that, I had headaches, like splitting headaches for months. It felt like, you know, when, when uh, the Battlestar Galactica goes off and the, the lights that shine at the back of it when they go into warp speed, that's what I saw in my head the whole time. And it was like, it was just like this searing headache. After that, I had like a spectacular horse riding accident, spectacular. I broke like uh, ribs and sternum and neck and collarbone. It was like really, I did it properly. And about three months afterwards, I was still struggling with pain. I mean, I was like, my neck was sore, my head was sore, and we went to the doctor, Blade and I, and the doctor said, what's your problem? I said, well, this is three, four months after the fact, I was still in pain. And he said, but listen, guy, you had a big fall. You're going to be in pain for two years. And I thought, sure, I'm never coming back to you again. This is like the worst doctor ever. And after that, we went on holiday, and uh, I was starting to feel a bit better, and then I fell from a flight of stairs, spectacularly. I had a casserole bowl of, of chicken in my hand, and I was going to drain it at the bottom of the flight of stairs, flip-flops, rain, up, down, just like in hospital, tore. They said I was fine. The chicken was safe. We had a nice meal. And this was going to be, this is now four years after, this was going to be the holiday where it was going to be brilliant. The four, first holiday in four years that we were going to have like our normal adventure holiday together. I was so excited. We were going to bungee jump and we were going to horse ride and we were going to do all of these things. And the first day we went onto the beach, the first minute onto the beach, I took my snow white feet and it was the first time that I put it into the ocean. My 100-kilogram nephew came hurtling from the top of the dune, ran down, and decided a good idea to tackle me full throttle from behind as the water receded, tearing everything that I had in my left knee. Now, in the family, we don't know whether he was like, at you know, how fast did he run, right? So he just says the only difference between his jog and his run is his facial expression. So we don't know exactly how fast he was going. But he's 100 kgs, momentum downhill. I don't weigh 100 kgs. Okay, so this, if I had to explain to Chewbacca, how does it feel to live in South Africa 2021? I would say we started off not having jobs, and being poor since no new jobs were created in two, since 2007. I would say then we were hit with state capture, and then we were hit with corruption, and like billions and billions and billions of rands were just washed into other people's pockets. Then came COVID-19, and it was lockdown level 5, and 4, and 3, and 2, and 1, and 2, and 3, and adjusted level 4, adjusted level 3. What on earth is adjusted level 3 even? And then riots and looting. And this past two weeks, I must tell you, it felt like my 100-kilogram nephew, after four years of headaches and pain, came hurtling down at us in South Africa and just tore us up from behind. That's what I feel like.
I don't know what you feel like. That's the way that, I, <clears throat> that I've experienced these past few years and these past few months. And then while I was thinking about all of these things and breaking my brain about how, how do you carry faith, hope, and love into this world, a mate of mine sent me a mail and he asked me three questions. And I'm going to put it up on the screen for you here because these are the questions that we are going to consider and talk about for the rest of today. He asked me this question. He said, what is God? Not CNN, not Eyewitness News, not I don't know who. What is God? saying to you about South Africa? It's a different question to what I was busy with. What is God saying to you, Borsov, to you, Wayne, to you, Mel? What is God saying to you, Charlie, about South Africa? And then, given that answer, what is He asking you to do in South Africa 2021? And then, given that answer, what is he preparing in for you, for you in the future? It's like a totally different way of thinking about life. Because you see, there's, um, if you don't answer these questions in that way, if you go into telling, telling people about South Africa in 2021 and you're unable to verbalize, look it straight in the eye, the wicked problem, what is a wicked problem? It's a social or cultural problem that seems unsolvable. Looking the wicked problem that we face in South Africa, the wicked problems that we face in South Africa, straight in the eye, if you do not take it to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, guess what? It's going to break your brain. And once your brain is break, broken, it's going to break your spirit. And once your spirit is broken, it's going to break your soul. So we need to, as Christians, ask this question, what is God saying about South Africa? What is He activating me towards now? And what is He focusing me on in the future? That is what we're going to talk about today. And that is like a, like it's a difficult topic. Because I'm not going to share with you what my answer was. I'm going to take you through Scripture and Scripture teaching us what to do with wicked problems. Wicked problem being a social or cultural problem that there seems to be no answer for. What does God teach us when there's like these two worlds that come together and there seems to be no answer? That is what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to do that by focusing mainly on John 8 verse 1 to 11. So if you have your Bible with you, it's in the second part of the Bible. And I now understand why I can't see anything on my notes because I don't have my glasses on. Okay. John 8, verse 1 to 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 8, verse 1 to 11. So we've got it up on the screen here. Let's read. But Jesus, I already like this verse. South Africa 2021, but Jesus. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said, this woman was 
caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked him to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. They confronted Jesus with a wicked problem. You say that we should love people, but you say that we should not sin. What do we do? A wicked problem. Jesus faced with a wicked problem, and they thought that they were going to catch him out. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Okay, so how does that work? Faced with a wicked problem, what does Jesus do? He sits on the ground and writes on the ground with his finger. What does that mean? When they persisted in questioning him, in other words, he just ignored them for a while, but they persisted asking him questions. He stood up and he said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, the older people able to self-reflect in order to let go of self-righteousness. Only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. What a piece of Scripture. A piece of Scripture, actually, that many people, Augustine and Ambrose, said that this piece of Scripture should actually not be in Scripture. They, they militated for this, John 1, 8, verse 1 to 11, not to be in Scripture. They said it must be out. Why? Because it's a wicked problem, and they were worried that it would teach people that sexual immorality is not serious. So when the church fathers came together, they said, this piece of Scripture must be out. But the point of the Scripture actually is, we know how serious sexual immorality is. I mean, there's a piece of Scripture that I don't have on screen. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20 says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside of their body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against their own body. And you've been bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. So sexual immorality, guys, girls, it is serious. The implications on you, because it's something that is internal to you, it's not something outside of you, is so severe for your marriage, for your relationships with your kids, for the society around you, it is massively severe. But guess what? It is something, it is an act that Jesus can forgive you for. Can Jesus take the implications of that and he can help you through the disaster that you have now just put onto your life? It is serious, but it is forgiven. It is serious, but it is forgiven. That's why this account that was proven by historians that actually happened was brought into Scripture. But you see, we do that. We take wicked problems and we park them. We say it's these, these two values that, that, bring, that talk to us, but we don't know how to talk to it and we don't know how to make sense of it. But Jesus comes and he confronts it head 
on. These, these emotional things, high emotions, high stake, this is what Jesus says, I want to talk to you about it. Don't hide it. I want to talk to you about it. So, for example, in the question, whose fault is the poverty in South Africa? Now you're saying, oh, Buddha, don't go there. Okay, so now you're going into politics. No. I'm going to try to verbalize what many of us think and don't say. So is the fault of poverty and joblessness in South Africa, is it apartheid? Is it, is it state capture? Is it the greed of the people that have? Is it the entitlement of the people that don't have? Okay, so what is it? Is it any of these things? Whose fault is it the riots that we had in KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng? Is it the president? Is it the ex-president? Is it the police commissioner? Is it the instigators, the 12 instigators? Is it like a, a criminal element? Is it the guy who stole the laptop of the president? Is it his fault? I don't know. Her fault. Whose fault is it? You see, it is so difficult for us to really think about these things because it's wicked problems. Verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, many of the commentators say that this first verse of chapter 8 must actually be the last verse of chapter 7. So chapter 7 ends in chapter 7, verse 53, when it says, Then each one of them went to their houses. So the other people went to their houses, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now you must understand that chapter 7 is like a, a very, it's a hectic, hectic chapter. It is laden with stress. It talks about Jerusalem and the, and the stress and the fears and the worries that they had in the city. The city where the Romans were just taking everything from the Jews. The Jews wanting to revolt. Jews wanting to stand up. And Jesus walks into this hectic Jerusalem. And he says, listen, I want to share with you a truth. A truth that can deal with your wicked problems. I want to share with you life where you feel without life. And Jesus starts off in chapter 7 and he preaches the good news. He preaches the gospel. He preaches about love and he preaches about what God wants to do in Jerusalem. And then his brothers say, no, no, no. Okay, so we don't even believe you're the son of God. And not even his brothers believe he's the son of God. They take a next step and then people say, okay, but maybe he's a prophet because these things that he is saying are true. It, maybe it can help me fix this wicked problem. And after the people that think he's a prophet, people say maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the one that the prophet spoke about earlier, that he was going to come and he was going to help us to overthrow the government of, of uh, the Romans. Maybe he's the Messiah. And then you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to kill him because they said, you are blaspheming. You are saying that you're God, how can you be God? And then they send another person. They send the person of the police guard. The police was deployed into Jerusalem. The police now wanted to take Jesus and, and take him into consideration for him to be killed. And then they realized that there will be a revolt if they were to capture Jesus. And they said, oh, we can't capture him. We need to leave him. And after all of that, the people just went home. 
They were confronted by the truth, but they were untouched. They were confronted with the truth of what could solve the wicked problem of Jerusalem, but they remained untouched, and they went home, and they went on with their lives. But Jesus traveled 1.6 kilometers out of Jerusalem to the mountain, and there he said, God, give me strength, give me energy, refocus me, because I'm going to go back the next morning, and I'm going to do something about the way of convincing them of the truth. But Jesus did something different. And the question that I have for all of us, this is now a few weeks after people losing their lives and their livelihoods after these riots. Have you just gone back to your normal life? Or has what happened just stirred you so much that you are now resolved to be part of the solution in this country? Does your Sunday and your Friday and your Thursday look exactly the same? Or has your heart been stirred to be the change that God wants to see in our country? I'm getting scared now because now it's very quiet. I don't have a joke to share, so I'm just going to plow forward. Okay, so <laughs> verse 2. At dawn... He went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him, and he taught them. You can only find the truth from the truth. John 4, 16 says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we want to get the truth of what God is saying about South Africa, we need to ask God. Don't ask me. Don't ask Taiki. Don't ask Joe. Don't ask Manalisi here. Ask God what he wants to say. Verse 6, they asked this to trap him in order that he might have evidence that they can accuse him of. This is just the wicked problem. What does Jesus do? He faces the wicked problem. He doesn't put it away. How does Jesus deal with this? In verse 8, he says, then he stooped low again and continued writing on the ground. And here we need to focus. If you want to understand how to solve wicked problems and you want to model Jesus, Jesus stooped low. Jesus took on a, a way of acting and being humble. Not self-righteous, not righteous, not angry, humble. He stooped low. He sat on the ground. He submitted to the law. He had actually empathy, some of the commentators say, with this woman. And he was acting physically out what she might have felt her self-worth just being taken away from her, all the things that she had done, he stooped low in an act of humility and submission. Verse 7 says, when they persisted to question him, he, he didn't listen to all the noise. He stooped low in humility. He doesn't listen to all the noises around him. He just focused in on the truth. And then verse 7 says, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. What did he say? The truth is, face the wicked problem. Look at that wicked problem in humility. 
Don't listen to all the noise around you, and then the truth will emerge. And what is the truth? Stop pointing fingers and search your hearts. That's what God says to these people. And I believe that's what God is saying to all of us. Stop pointing fingers at other people and search your own hearts. Search your heart. When there are contradicting values, and you don't know what the answer is because you believe both sides and you don't know what the, what the solution is, the truth will reveal itself. If you act humbly, if you put the noise aside and you focus on Jesus' truth, what did it look like in our house? Very practically. So our oldest son, Andreas, he played hockey, good hockey player, field hockey player. And he was competing to get into the Gauteng A team. And we thought that he would come into the A team because he was one of the, the better players in, in that squad. And then they bumped him into the B team. And they used the word quotas. Half the team must be previously disadvantaged and half the team needs to be the other people. And he was angry. He was frustrated. This guy, like fairness, is his most important thing in life. He wants to be fairness. Things need to be fair. Otherwise, his brain just clutches out. I want my son. He worked so hard. He's really good at what he does, but he was bumped to the B team. I believe that there needs to be things that happen to, to readjust what happened in the past. Okay, so these are, this is a wicked problem. How do you solve this wicked problem? We sat Andreas down and we said to him, Andreas, will you be able to compete for 50% of the spots in this team against those kids that have a similar talent but had the same privilege as you with extra coaching and three meals a day and, you know, ability to go to gym wherever you want? And are you willing to leave the other 50% of the spots for those that have the same talent as you but did not have the same privilege? He said, yes. And then he said, Dad, maybe what could happen is that in later years, these quotas won't be necessary because we would have restituted what went wrong. A wicked problem faced, not ran away from, in humility, asking God for the truth. That is what I believe God is asking of each and every one of us that are struggling to make sense of our role in South Africa. I want to now go to this point of how do I search my heart? How do I search my heart? And um, I'm going to don't have time for everything, but I just want to focus in on this verse, John 8, verse 12. Remember, we've just been through John 8, verse 1 to 11. Now, at 12, it says, Jesus spoke to them again, and he said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John Piper writes this. He says, the light of Christ is the brightness of God shining on the retina of the human soul. 
The light of Christ is the brightness of God shining on the retina of the human soul. So what I did just for myself is I searched my prayer life during this time. If Jesus says, don't put fingers, search your heart, I search my prayer life. And I searched my prayer life on the basis of Luke 18, 19 to 14. He said, he also told a parable to some of those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple and prayed, and one a Pharisee and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth every, of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, and he kept on striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this one, the tax collector, went down to his house justified. What does your prayer life look like in South Africa 2021? You know, I, I was praying. I said, God, protect my business. And then when God said, but listen, don't point fingers, search your own heart. Now my prayer is, God, how do you want to use our business to heal South Africa? I was praying, God, protect my children. And God changed that prayer to say, God, how are my children involved in the future of South Africa? As opposed to trying to protect them, setting them up into their purpose in this country. I believe that there are a lot of people that are praying, you know, Lord, how do I get out? How do I immigrate? And for many of us, we should be praying, Lord, how do I help those that can't immigrate? I believe that God wants to shine a light on your relational life. He wants to shine a light on your thought life. But as the worship team comes up, I would just want to share with you this story of how people stop pointing fingers in this country over the past few weeks. Many people in this country did this, but just the power of people understanding what it means to search their hearts. There's a, a grouping that came together about four weeks ago called Heal Our Land. It's a grouping of business people, a grouping of farmers, and, and what they said was, we need to get food into KwaZulu-Natal. We need to get food in KwaZulu-Natal. I don't know how, if you know how severe that situation was, but I mean, food riots were very possible because people were hungry. And peop people came together in this Heal Our Fund initiative, and they said, we are going to raise money to take a thousand tons of food into KwaZulu-Natal. Now, all of this food... People garnered and farmers said, we are worried about South Africa. A year ago already, they said, we are worried about South Africa. They thought that it was pandemic-driven. And they stored all of this food, and we were able to raise the money, and we started shipping food, one interlinked at a time, into KwaZulu-Natal, with security, into three warehouses in Durban, 
people coming together and repacking that food into smaller parcels, hearing from the community at large where the problems were, distributing with security guards all of that food into places that we knew that we had need. People's lives were changed. What happened? The children of God stopped pointing fingers and they fought the violence with generosity. People of God stopped pointing fingers and they, they united around generosity where people were trying to disunite us. The planning, the nth degree of planning that the unrest took was faced by the nth degree of planning of Christians to say we are going to make a difference to people's lives in this country. That is what it means to search your heart and stop pointing fingers. This was a tough word to hear and I promise you to deliver. But we want to give a moment today for you to hear what God is saying to you about South Africa. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It's, it's what God says to you and it matters. It matters greatly. I want to share with you a last verse, 2 Peter 1 verse 19. We couldn't be more sure of what we saw and heard, God's glory and God's voice. The prophetic word was confirmed to us, the word of God that He wants to speak into your life to explain to you what He thinks about South Africa. And you'll do well, the scripture says, to keep focusing on that word. It's the one light you have in a dark time as you wait for daybreak and the rising of the morning star in your hearts. God's word is the light that will carry your life through the situation. But then you can't park it. Then you need to offer it to God. And we're going to give you that moment now as the worship team ministers to us. And I want to ask you, I want to invite you, if you would... Just twos and threes stand together. Have a quiet time with God. And start sharing, start articulating, start speaking to people about what you're hearing. And then we'll close after that. Are you good with that? So good. We're going to stand up together. Just people maybe that you know and trust around you. Um... If, if you feel more comfortable to walk somewhere to somebody, please do that. As we stand, just spend time with God, with the Holy Spirit, to minister to your heart on this question. What does He say to you about South Africa? Let's do that.